Having a copy of the scriptures is one of the greatest things you could ever have. I was going to say one of the greatest possessions you could ever have. But the title of my sermon is The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. Have you ever thought about that? The blessedness of possessing nothing. You may use a lot of things, but don't seek to possess everything or many things. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. That's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew and chapter 5. Jesus Christ is on the, the mount and this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And there's many things that he says here. But the first thing he talks about when he says in these Beatitudes, the blessed bees, he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. Poor. Now, you might not think it's good to be poor, but you know some of the poorest people are the happiest people, and some of the most miserable people are the richest people. You say, well, I'd like to find out. Well, you may and you may not. I never try to keep up with the Joneses. I just catch them on their way back. Because people are changing positions in life. They're going up and they're going down. They're getting it and they're losing it. Because every man that's getting it is getting it from somebody else. And every man that's losing it is losing it to somebody else. So you're gaining and losing, and somebody's gaining and losing. So you're going through life swapping. You're switching places, and you're gaining, somebody else is losing. Everybody can't always gain. Somebody has to lose something for one man to gain. You ever think of that? But that's the facts of life. If I gave everybody in here equally $100, and that's all the money there was in the whole world, and all of us only had $100. Now, if you're going to gain some money, somebody had to do what? They had to lose some. True? So in your desire to get more than what you probably need, somebody else is going to have to do with less until we have some rich and we have some poor. Which one would you like to be? Don't answer that. But God says, blessed are the poor, and blessed are those that are persecuted, and blessed are those who thirst after righteousness, and blessed are those who hunger. And he goes on all these wonderful blessings you say, wait, 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 not so fast, Lord. But that's what the book says. Because there's something else, as the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, though poor, making many rich. Did you know a poor man can make a lot of people rich? The Bible tells us that God sent his son who owned it all. And the Bible says that he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. So if you know Christ is your Savior, you're rich. You're a wealthy individual because you know where you're going when you die. You're God's child. And it won't be long before we're going to be going home. That used to be six kids in our family. Now there's only five left. I used to have a mom. Now my mom has gone. I used to have a real dad and he's gone. I had another stepdad. He's gone. There's people leaving this world. I just talking to a buddy a while ago. It's amazing how as time goes on, we get to see people going to more funerals. The older you get, the more funerals you attend. And after a while, I guess one I talked to this one real old man. I says, I, I says, what's the matter? He said, I just don't have no friends. 
I said, why? He says, I buried them all. I says, they all died. <laughs> he says, I don't have no friends. All my friends dead. Well, that day may come for you and I. We'll be sitting around here. You know, I'm, I'm the only one left. And uh, Leon's going to be on crutches and uh, maybe a wheelchair. And uh, I'll be pushing him around, you know. But uh, it was amazing. I went to the flea market yesterday and out of a whole of the place, my eye caught a wheelchair. And I looked at it and I walked on. I thought about my mom since I saw the wheelchair. And then Crystal comes by and she says, I'm looking for a wheelchair. I said, well, I know where there's one. Where? I says, right over there. I says, the guy over there's got one. She went over there and bought the thing yesterday. And it was a nice one. Got a good price for it. And I says, uh, just save it. I says, uh, buddy's going to need it. <laughs> you know, the Lord is simply preparing for your needs in advance. Now, let, let me ask you a question. How many of you in here have had children? You've had a child. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, 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 or seven. Okay, you're going to have one. And uh, whenever a child is going to be coming to the world, like this man says, the woman says, she says, I'm expecting. He says, expecting nothing. It's a sure thing. <laughs> I don't know why all the women says, well, I'm expecting. What are you expecting? Well, I'm expecting to have a baby. Well, it's a sure thing. Either you are or you're not. <laughs> But anyway, uh, you know, you're going to have a baby. I, I remember when Eddie was going to have his little boy. Did you know that they went out and, they, man, they bought all kinds of stuff. They painted the room, and Eddie is, is half child, and well, maybe more child than adult. And he had all the stuff of that stupid cat. What's the name of that stupid cat? Felix? There was some little stupid cat, but he even got it tattooed on his arm. And he, he put it on the wall, and crazy colors, got the crib, and uh, they, got, they got diapers. Then they had a baby shower, and everybody brought everything, all kind of junk. They were getting ready, preparing for this baby. So when this baby shows up, they got everything they need for the baby. They had baby bottles. Like I said, they had the, 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 the little, the, that green junk that they make your babies eat, you know, that... Uh, it's, it's already like it's been eaten once. And, uh, but they got a bunch of this baby food, you know, and the spinach, you know. I guess the kids need that junk. But they got all the stuff, and you go through all the stuff. They, had, they even had little <laughs> pants, uh, shirts, and, and little shoes, and little socks, even a little hat. They had all the stuff. And the baby's not even there yet. All these were things for this baby, because this baby's going to need all this stuff. And you think, well, that's, that's only reasonable. That's, that's prepared. That's preparing because, you know, the baby's coming. Well, did you know that sometime in the past, God, and kind of ride along with this for a little bit, God's up in heaven and, you know, uh, all, all he has up there is all these angels. And uh, God wants somebody to love him. Not because he made you love him, but because he wants you to choose to love him. Would you like the person that you like to love you because he has no choice. Kind of like Adam and Eve. Eve looked at Adam and says, do you love me? He says, who else? <laughs> you don't get it. Who else? There ain't nobody else. Well, you want somebody to love you because they had a choice. But here we are in this world and God made us. But he wants us to love him because we love him. Because we choose to love him. So what God did is... God was expecting. 
He was expecting some real genuine things to happen. Uh, before God made the heavens and the earth, do you think he already had planned he was going to make a man and a woman? Before he made the world. The Bible says that God had already planned on sending his son to pay for our sins before the foundations of the world. That means before man was ever made and put in the garden, God already knew he would fall and God already had a plan. It wasn't like, oh no, now what am I going to do? God was not in a state of shock because, oh no, they sinned, now what do I do? No, God already knew it before he ever started. He had a gigantic plan. So what God did when he made the earth, see, he didn't make the earth for God. He didn't make the clouds. You know, I used to lay out there on the grass and I would look up in the sky. Mila's and they used to do that. And we'd watch the clouds go over and we'd try to make something out of the clouds. So, well, that looks like an elephant. And that looks like a dog. That looks like you. <laughs> and the wind would blow and the clouds would change shape and we would try to make something out of it. You ever do that? But I did that when I was a kid. That was a whole new world. And I lived in a little make-believe world. There was a time when I actually believed in it. And I had to learn. But you know what? I didn't want to hurt Lizzie's feelings. But see, God made the world. Did you know that God says, now I'm, I'm making this world special. There ain't another world like this world. I'm making this for the person that I'm expecting. I'm going to take and do something special. And God knew what we would like. And so he knew we would have to see all this. So he says... He that hath an eye, shall he not see? And he that hath an ear, shall he not hear? And God made the eye, and God made the ear. So he made a man, and the Bible says that God prepared everything in advance before we ever got there. God was expecting. And he knew exactly when we were going to arrive. And God was going to see to it. He had everything ready. Didn't he? So he made the world. And the Bible says in the beginning it was, you know, it was water, covered with water. And when God says, and God said, let there be light, and it was good. And so God separated the day from the night. And then he separated the land from the water. And God did all these wonderful things. Then he made the trees. And then all of a sudden there's fruits on the trees. And then he made the greater light, the sun, and the lesser light, the moon. The one to rule the day and one to rule the night. And God made the starry heavens and all that. God's doing all that. Why? He don't need all that. He did all of that. That's, that's all these gifts. For us. Just like Eddie was getting all those things. For that little child. See, Eddie didn't need all that. But the baby needs all of that. And so because of your love for a child... You do all these wonderful things. And because of your God's love for us, He did all these wonderful things for us. And the Bible says that the animals and the grass and the flowers, everything, God did all of that and God provided totally in advance for all of our needs. That's why when we say, can God supply your needs? He already has before He put you here. Before you were born, all of your needs to survive have been provided. True? Now some people have to work and get it, not just like God. 
He says he made the bird and he made the worm. But he doesn't throw the worm into the nest. He makes the bird go find the worm. And God made us and he has done, I think, a very, very good job. God knew what he was doing. He made all these wonderful things. And then the Bible says that all these things, and when you read the book of Genesis, it talks about all these creeping things and everything. See, but they're just things. What is more important? The baby crib or the baby? What's more important, the baby's milk and the food or the baby? What's more important, the baby or the diapers? All right. If you can understand that little simple thing, here you are in this world. And God made all this wonderful thing. He made all the animals. He made the planets and the starry heavens. And he made the earth. And he made the clouds and the rain and the flowers and the trees. And all this wonderful sunset that we enjoyed. The sunrise. Uh, some people don't even know the sun comes up gradually. <laughs> but God made all these wonderful things. And lo and behold. What do you think is more important? The person that God did it for or the things that he made? He, the person. You are more important than the things that he gave to you. See, those are just things. They're temporary things. But the shame of it all is if what if you and I were to make the biggest, dumbest, stupid, foolish mistake of falling in love with the things instead of the one that loves us. Did you know that there are people in this world that don't love the one that made them and gave them all of that? They reject him and fell in love with this. And why did God make us? So that we would love him. So God is not satisfied when we love people or things or the world more than we love God. Wouldn't it be a shame for a family to do so much for a little baby? And they shower this little baby with all kinds of things because they love this little baby. And then the little baby grows up and despises the mom and dad that gave them so much. And did so much for them. And then they despise them. You think it would hurt. You think it hurts. Well, of course it does. Do you think that God is hurt when we don't love Him and we love things more? Do you know there's people who don't worry about if they never spend any time with God, but if you don't come around and give them any attention, they get mad and pout and whine and pine and moan and groan. Well... Take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 1. Romans in chapter 1. There's a scripture there. I've used it in different ways, but I want to relate something else to you. Look there in verse 21. Verse 21, Romans chapter 1. Here you are in this wonderful world that God has made. And God spent some time... Preparing everything for us. Because he loves us. 
I can't explain why he loves us, but he does. He made us in his image. He made us because he wants us and he loves us. And he prepared so many things for us to freely enjoy. But they're only things. They're just things. This world is just a thing. It's not a person. And so it says here in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So what is the key? That if you know there's a God, it is accepted, expected that you would glorify him as God. Don't you see that? You look at that verse and see if that ain't what you see. That when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. In other words, it was an expectation that they should have. If God has done so much for you, isn't it only reasonable for God to expect you to be thankful? Huh? Well, look what it says. Neither were what? Neither were thankful. All right, so God expects you to glorify him because he's God. Look what he did for you. Remember, there's no person ever been born on this earth before you, after you, that's greater than you. I'm not talking about Jesus Christ now. I'm talking about humanly speaking. And that God doesn't love anybody more than you, doesn't love anybody less than you. God's a love of the world. And you and I are in the world. And because of God's great love for us, isn't it a shame that we sometimes fall in love with the things that he made? Like a little baby growing up and falling in love with a tricycle and, and hating mom and dad. They gave him the tricycle because they loved him. Something don't make sense, does it? And when God has been so good to us, isn't it a shame even for a Christian, after God has saved him, given him eternal life, not to serve the Lord. Don't you think that's a slap in God's face? Not to honor God. Now, get what he says here. Several things. It says, they became vain. And in verse 12, became fools. These same ones that God loved did so much for them. Instead of them being so thankful for these things that God gave to them to enjoy for his happiness, for pleasure, for true enjoyment in life. They don't love God that gave it to them. And all God wanted, this is just to show how much God loves us. And we won't love him back for it. And God says that you, you become vain in your imagination and you became fools. So everyone who is not glorifying God with their life, giving God glory for what he did, and giving God thanks for what he's done, the Bible says, being unthankful, they become fools. Wouldn't it be a shame for you to be listed in this portion of Scripture? This is talking about you. Their foolish heart was darkened. Look in verse 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. In other words, they wind up worshiping the creation of instead of God, the Creator. Did you ever hear anybody talk about Mother Nature? It's not nice to be cruel to Mother Nature. Well, doggy, nature is not my mother. I don't believe in evolution. And the other thing in verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to, and get this, 
dishonor themselves. So they become vain in their imagination and uh, they become fools and they dishonor themselves and they don't bring honor to God, they don't bring honor to themselves and then in the next verse he says they change the truth of God into a what? Into a lie. And then for the rest of their life they live a lie. They're deceived, don't understand, and they're a fool. Isn't that a shame? That's not how God intended it. Because we make so many foolish decisions with our life instead of seeking the will of God. Do you know what God wanted more than anything after he had created Adam and Eve? They said, the Bible said that he walked with them and talked with them in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. He made a beautiful garden for them. Why? Because he loved them. What was more important, the man and the woman or the garden? The garden was made for them. That's why God did it. God did all those things for them. Now listen, God hasn't stopped. The same thing that he made then is still now. It's just not in this perfect form. But didn't God still give us air to breathe? <gasps> oh, don't you feel good to breathe? Don't you enjoy eating? I went out to, today and I ate. Oh, it is so good. I enjoy food. I think that's one of the greatest inventions of all time. Food. I love to eat. My problem is, is not eating so much. And that looks like it might be somebody else's problem too, but I am not talking about who it is. But everybody deals with the problem of overeating. I hate it when Milton Hale can sit down and eat 10 meals a day and gorge on every one of them and not gain an ounce. That's not fair. Gina, look at Gina. I bet she's, she'll never be fat. She'll never have to worry about being fat. And probably, you know, look, probably look slim, and probably look slim all of her life. And there's, and there's others who struggle with it, and they can't even look at a donut without gaining a pound. Just looking at it. And Gina probably can eat a whole dozen of them and it won't bother. Because her, her mother and her sister, they're all the same. It runs in the family. That's not fair. But somebody told me that life isn't fair. Well, I guess not. But you see, what I'm saying is, is that you begin to change things. When you're not glorifying the Lord with your life and you're not thankful to God, you become vain in your imagination. You won't think right. You become a fool, but you won't think you're a fool. You'll think you're wise. You'll think you're smart. And you'll begin to make your own decisions and about everything. You don't need God. You don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to go to church. You know what you're saying? I'm too smart for all of that. That means you're dumb. <laughs> That's the way a dumb man thinks. I don't need God to tell me what I can and cannot do. Now, take your Bible and turn back there to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis and chapter 22. Everybody knows the, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, remember, Abraham was an old man. He was about right at 100 years old when, when his child was born. He was 100 years old. His wife was 90 when she had a baby. Good night. I don't believe God ever intended for the normal individual to have kids when they're 100 years old. I don't have the patience for them. I love to see them come, love to see them go. Grandkids is the reward for not killing your teenagers when you had a chance. But it is, it is so wonderful. My grandkids, if I didn't do this, I'd have had them first. But don't work that way. 
the Bible says that God loved a man. And this man's name was Abraham. God was going to do something different with this man. He was going to take a man and by a miracle give him a child in his old age. And so the Bible says that Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And that her womb was dead so to speak. She couldn't have any children. So God's going to have to work a miracle and work a miracle he did. And a child was born. But you see, before this child was born, see, God already prepared, gave him a wonderful dad and mom. So that when this kid is born, he, he's going to have a, a tremendous father. This is going to be an exceptional child. And this child is uh, going to be the father of a great nation. And so from him, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he had 12 sons, and but there's the nation of Israel. And the whole world has been blessed because of the nation of Israel. We're going all the way back the old father Abraham. Well, as time goes on, the child is born. And I can imagine watching old Abraham outside the tent. He'd already been gone through 13 years with Ishmael. But this was his own. This is the one that God said that he's going to bless. This is going to be his heir. This one was special. So time did come where there came trouble between Hagar and Sarah, and so she had to leave and take Ishmael with her. So they left. But this, this child was different. This is a miracle child. And Abraham knew it. For some reason or other, he, he really loved this child. Look up there in verse 2. And God speaking to Abraham, said, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and you ought to underline these three words. Whom thou loveth. You see, there's, there's a God in heaven that so loved man that he was willing to make for us anything we would have ever desired. Who in the world today doesn't desire the Garden of Eden? To live forever and to be in the Garden of Eden. Everybody wishes that. We're always talking about, Ben, I wish I could be in paradise. Well, there are some Muslims that are dying to get to paradise, but that ain't the same thing we're talking about. They think there's 70 virgins waiting for them, and there are 70 Virginians up there waiting on them. But anyway, the Bible tells us that God said, Whom thou lovest. Now, if, if Abraham really loved Isaac, what is going to be the greatest test of his love? You see, God doesn't mind all the things in the world that he made for man to enjoy, but God never intended anything in the world to take the throne of his heart. You see, you and I are supposed to have some little empty spot somewhere in us that is like a holy place. It's like there's a little altar inside of us, a place where you meet with God, and nothing else will satisfy and you can try to put anything else in there you want, but it doesn't belong there. It doesn't fit. It still leaves you empty. God designed that little holy spot within you to be filled only with the presence of God. And God is a very jealous God, and God doesn't want anything on the throne of your life except Him. God only wants you to worship one. That's Him. God wants you and I to love Him more than anything He's ever made, 
anything you've ever seen, God is a jealous God. And God wants you and I to worship Him, to love Him. Here's Abraham, his only son, and he loves his son. The Bible says God knew he loved his son. But I wonder if along the way there's a possibility that I'd give anything for my son. I love my son more than anything. Maybe he said I love the, my son greater than I love anything or anyone or anybody or maybe even God. I don't know. Maybe he saw so much hopes and dreams in that little boy because that little boy is an unusual little boy. That was given to me by God. I wonder if he could have seen that that was maybe just another thing that could take the throne that only belongs to God. Well, do you know what this um, a little experiment was on Mount Moriah? There's some symbolism here. And on Mount Moriah is the very mount upon which Jesus Christ died a couple thousand years later. I've been there. I've stood on that mount. And they believe that where the temple was built is the very same spot where Abraham offered up his son Isaac. So we know that Abraham is a type of God who so loved the world that was willing to give his only begotten son. And so God says, now to Abraham, I want you to take your only son whom you love. And we're going to see just how much you love your son. Do you love your son more than you love me? Do you love your wife more than you love God? Do you love your children more than you love God? Do you love your home, your car, your money, your security? Do you love what more than you love God? Well, God will put things to a test at times. Now, what a test this was. And the Bible says, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son upon that mountain. I want you to build an altar. And I want you to slay your son upon that altar. What do you think was going through the mind? Now let's stop and think. Now Abraham was a, a real man of flesh and blood. A man of like passion such as we are. What do you think going through his mind that night as he laid there sleeping? What would you be thinking about? Tomorrow, I've got to take my son's life. But the Bible says that he believed that if he did it, God would raise him from the dead. And he believed God so much he was willing to run that risk. To do that. Because see, with God, God can't have anybody worshiping anything or anyone more than God. You see, the things that we have can become idols that we worship. And God being a jealous God, God doesn't like anything to take his place. I've seen God work in people's lives and move things out of people's lives. It scares me to death. God doesn't play games. God loves us, but whenever he took his son up on the mountain and he laid him out on that rock and he got ready to take a knife and to cut his son to kill him, what did God do? God stayed his hand and says, there is a ram whose horn were caught in the thicket. And God substituted. But I want you to see this verse. Look down in verse 12. 
And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now there's a lot in that verse. What, doesn't God know everything? Does God have to do that in order to, to know something? You know, even when you get to the New Testament, when Jesus Christ was born, the Bible says he learned and he grew in stature and wisdom. The Bible talks about Jesus in the garden and that he feared even unto death. He got to the woman at the well and he thirsted. There were things that he had to learn. At one point he says, only the father knows, the son doesn't know. But that was at that time, I believe he knows it all now. And for God to say, I want to prove. See, God wants things proven. God can know everything, but he wants us to go through it. Does God already know what we're going to face tomorrow? Yes. Does he know what we need? Yes. Does he want us to pray though? Yes. Still wants us to come to him. Still wants us to pray, even though he knows the outcome on everything. But God is God. And he has a right to do anything he wants to do. But one thing he doesn't want is somebody loving somebody more than him. I love my wife. But I'm not supposed to love my wife more than I love God. Because if I do, I won't love God right. And I won't love my wife right. Loving God supremely, preeminently, you'll love everything else right. And everything else will fall into place. But you don't love God right, you won't really love the way you should. Because what would my wife need more than anything else if I said, I love you more than God? What does she need? She needs to know that I love God with all my heart. Do you know there's a commandment in the Bible that says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Yes or no? Yes. With all thine heart. And get what he says here. He says, Now I know that thou fearest God. What, what was God after then? God wanted Abraham to fear him, to honor him, to love him, to worship him more than anything. And a way of proving that is are you willing to give up that which you love? Whew. Do you love God? Are you willing to prove it? How? Do you know one of the greatest things you can give to God to prove that you love God is by giving Him your life. It's the same as taking your life. Sacrificing your life for Him. That's why when you serve the Lord, You've given up your right to do whatever you want to do down here for these things. And you've given up. And Lord, you can take and let me be as rich or as poor as whatever. It doesn't matter. And it's a blessed thing to possess nothing. Because you know that if God has me and all of me, then God will take care of me. And I don't have to own anything. God can give me whatever he wants and take free whatever I have. Is God at liberty to take your health without you getting upset with God? Is God at liberty to take your job, take your finances, without you getting upset with God? Or what would you do if God took these things away from you? What do you love more, those things or God? 
Do you think that at times in your life God's going to try you to find out what you really love? He's going to. You might as well prepare yourself. You should be expecting it. Expect a baby? <laughs> That's a real thing. And the Bible says that troubles are like arrows that are shot into the air. And see, there's arrows that have been shot. And these arrows are troubles. And here you are. And these arrows and you are have an appointment. And they're coming. Sometime in the future. It might be tonight. It might be tomorrow morning. But buddy, trouble's on its way. But what God does is he tries to teach you some things so that when the fiery darts come, you can be shielded and protected. But if you don't trust the Lord and you don't look to God, these troubles are going to hit and you're not going to be prepared and it's going to be devastating for you. And you'll get mad and bitter and you'll hate God. And it wasn't God's fault. See, God has given us freely all things to enjoy. But they're not to be our God. They're not to be idols for us. The Lord, being jealous, wants our love and wants it supremely. And he says, I love this part. He says, now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from you. You didn't keep him from me. You're willing to give it all. To possess nothing. And if God gives you a home, praise the Lord. It's God's. God gives you a car, it's God's. God gives you finance, it's God's. Let everything that you have belong to God. And you're only a steward using those things while you're here. Because they're just things. You understand what I'm saying? I hope you can understand it. Let me read a little poem for you. Always like a three-point outline sermon than a poem. And uh, I read this now. I really like this poem. Father, I want to know thee. But my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding. And I do not try to hide from thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shall thou make the place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that a good point? It's a good prayer. Let's pray, shall we?